Well, good morning. This morning we're going to finish up chapter 17 of Luke. We're um, going to be looking at a passage that is, is one of those passages that make you think. Your first reading, you say, what is this talking about? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's read through it and then we'll figure it out. Luke 17, starting with verse 20. Once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor, with, nor will people say, Here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. Then he said to his disciples, The time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. Men will tell you, There he is, or here he is. Do not go running off after them. For the Son of Man in His day will be like the lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first, He must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating and drinking, marrying, being given in marriage up to the day that Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and it destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the roof of his house with his goods inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night two people will be in one bed, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together, one will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord? they asked. He replied, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. Okay, this... um, passage starts out with the Pharisees asking Jesus when the kingdom of God will come. So we know that this is about the kingdom and about the timing of the kingdom. But this is a little bit of a strange passage. I think the strangest verse is that last one, verse 37. Let's start with that. Jesus replied, Where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. May the Lord bless the reading of His Word. Amen. (laughs) When I was uh, growing up in California, we lived out in the country. Behind our house were miles and miles of rolling hills covered with uh, brown grass and and oak trees dotting the the hills, some places in, in little forests. And I spent most of my time growing up exploring those hills, finding all kinds of things of enormous interest to a 10 or 11 year old boy. My friends and I found old homesteads that had been abandoned with a house and corral and things to explore. Uh, We found lakes that we were sure nobody knew about where we would skinny dip. We found caves that we played in. One of the things we would do on our adventures was we would watch the buzzards. There was always one or two vultures patrolling the sky, but when several of them began to gather and circle in one place, we knew there was some interesting stuff there. would head in that direction. Invariably, what we'd find was the carcass of a deer, something that's very interesting to a young boy. 
I remember one time I found an entire skeleton picked clean but intact. And I, I picked it all up and put it in a bag and carried it home. And I was, had this fantasy about wiring all the bones together and constructing this, uh, this uh, skeleton of a deer in my room. I, uh, oh, I, had, I, had, I got out my encyclopedia and all I could find was a skeleton of a dog. So I was trying to make the two work out. And the bag sat in my garage for about a year until my dad found it and threw it away. But the point is, <laughs> I knew where to find a deer carcass. Just watch for where the vultures were circling. You could see them from miles around. It's like a big neon sign saying, interesting stuff here. Well, you see, in Jesus' day, this was a common saying. It, it came from shepherds or herdsmen who had lost one of their livestock and, were, and feared that it was dead. Well, eventually, it became very easy to find the animal. Just go where you see the vultures circling. That's where the dead body is. Now Jesus uses this picture here and in Matthew 24 to put his disciples at ease as they were anxious about how they would know when the kingdom came in and where it was. And the basic message is, don't worry, it's going to be obvious. It's nothing you're going to miss. Uh, where the vultures are, that's where the body is. It's easy. Finding the kingdom is not all that tough. The bottom line in finding the kingdom. The kingdom is where Jesus is. In fact, this is the most basic thing for you to understand about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is where the king is, where Jesus is. All the rest of the stuff you, you study and you learn about the kingdom, that is the basic principle to hold on to. Now, the teaching of the kingdom gets fairly complex in, in Scripture because there are a variety of phases of the kingdom. There is the anticipation of the kingdom in the Old Testament, the prefigure, prefiguring in the, the Davidic kingdom, and then the looking forward to the coming of the king, of the line of David, the, the, the root of Jesse, the Messiah. There's that looking forward to the kingdom. And in the next phase is when the king actually came to this earth as a little baby, began to establish the kingdom. Matthew 5 Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for of them is the kingdom of heaven. Not of them will be the kingdom of heaven, but is. Because he speaks of the kingdom as having arrived as soon as the king arrived. As soon as you have a king who begins to acquire subjects, you have a kingdom. And that's the second phase of the kingdom. Then you have the current phase, the one we are now in, in which we have a living king who is not physically present here, is not seen with our physical eyes. And you have us as his subjects. Again, you have a king and you have subjects, so you have a kingdom. We talk of being in the kingdom. Both uh, Peter and Paul make it clear that we are not citizens of this earth. We are citizens of heaven. We are of a different kingdom. And we advance that kingdom. The way we advance that kingdom is we introduce other people to the king. 
And we, we, we see them choose in response to His grace and His love to submit themselves to the King, to let Him be their personal King. And that's the, the third phase of the kingdom between His first and second comings when we worship a King, follow a King that you can't see with your eyes. And then the fourth phase of the kingdom is that time when He will come again as Lord of all, displayed as King for everyone to see. At that time, He will come in judgment and power and every knee will bow before the King either willingly for those of us who have anticipated His return, or unwillingly for those who are in rebellion. When they see Him as He is, when they see His full glory, they will be forced to their knees just by His very presence. Then you have the uh, final state of the kingdom, final phase, when those of us for whom Jesus is our King spend eternity with our Lord our Master, worshiping Him, serving Him in joy and gladness. So you have at least five phases of the kingdom. And sometimes when you're studying the Scripture, it can get confusing. Which are we talking about? And sometimes it's not all that clear which is being discussed. But the thing that is common to every phase is that the presence of the King. The King is there. Jesus is there. The kingdom of God is where Jesus is. It's that simple. Where the dead body is, that's where the vultures gather. The kingdom of God is where Jesus is. Or conversely, where Jesus is, is the kingdom of God. Now let's go back up to the beginning of our passage. The Pharisees asked Jesus when the kingdom would come. And his answer is that it won't initially be something that you can see. You see, they were looking for invading armies. They were looking for a leader who would come in and take on the armies of Rome with violence and force and overthrow them. But that wasn't Jesus' plan. The phase of the kingdom that Jesus was then initiating was not to be established with force and violence was to be established with gentleness and love. It was not to be a physical revolution, an overthrow of Rome. It was to be an, in, an internal kingdom at this phase. Now what does that mean? First of all, Jesus came meek and gentle. He came bringing a message of God's love, of God's patience, of God's kindness, of God's forgiveness. He didn't come with a message of war, of revolution, conquering armies. When, when Jesus stood before Pilate, he said, My kingdom is not of this world, otherwise my followers would fight. And, and several of his followers, like Peter, wanted to fight. And Jesus said, No, put away your swords. It's not to be that way. Well, nor is it to be that way now. We're not to fight for the kingdom now. Well, how is it to be today? How is it to be? Well, again, the kingdom at this phase is internal. What does that mean? Well, let me ask you, where is Jesus right now? The answer is he's in heaven. Well, then how is he here? 
the reality is we have a real connection with heaven right now. These aren't just pretty words. This is reality. We are connected to heaven. Remember last week, we talked about not missing the point of our salvation. We looked at the story of the ten lepers. Ten men obeyed Jesus and were healed. One of them got the point, And he turned around and he went back to worship him, to express his love to Jesus. Well, the point of that passage is that God doesn't save us. Jesus didn't die on the cross to cleanse us just so that we would merrily go along our way feeling better about ourselves, uh, more able to cope, being healed of some of the problems in our lives. We're free to go on our way, but that wasn't his goal. That isn't his purpose. His purpose was so that we could come to him and know him, enjoy his presence, listen to him, express his love, his acceptance, and and speak our words of gratitude and praise. This is God's design. This is what He wanted us to do. But how do we do that if He isn't here? Well, again, He is here. The kingdom of God is within you. It's not something you have to run around out there and find. It is inside. Again, that leper could run up and throw his arms around Jesus' feet. We can't do that. But that doesn't mean we don't have access to our King. That access is inside. The kingdom of God is within you. If you've accepted Jesus Christ, if you've received Him into your life, accepted His payment on the cross for your sins and turned to Him in total submission as your King, and then we are told that, that Jesus has come into your life. You have received life spiritual life. He is life. And He promises to come into you, into your heart. Remember a little girl in Sunday school. Her mother was telling me about this. She had heard about Jesus being in her heart. She had cut out a little thing and drawn a picture of Jesus in there. So that afternoon, she asked her mom for two cookies. One for her and one for Jesus. But that's the reality. As simple as that sounds. That is the reality. We have that connection in our heart, that connection with heaven, that place where we can go. He is the king. And where the king is, that's where the kingdom of God is. There is a place in each of you that needs to be cultivated. What saints of uh, of former generations call the inner garden, what Paul calls the heavenlies. It's a place where we need to learn to go. Now, it's important to realize that all people, everyone has a connection to the spiritual world. See, we were all created spiritual beings. We were created in the likeness, in the image of God, who is spirit. But for those who are without Christ... There is no life in their spirit. When they go to the heavenlies, Jesus is not there. Unfortunately, as Paul tells us, whether they know it or not, there are other spiritual beings there. Beings that he calls in Ephesians 6, rulers and authorities, the powers of this world, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenlies. 
See, these other spiritual beings are subtle and deceitful. They present themselves as the Lord Himself or as angels of light, but they aren't. So it's not enough to, to just cultivate our spiritual selves. Again, the kingdom of God is where Jesus is. And he tells us he comes into only those that receive him, who accept his death on the cross and turn to him as their Lord, as their king. That is critical. But even for us who have Christ in us, who have opened the door of our hearts and invited him in, often it is very difficult to be aware of that spiritual connection. It is objective reality. It is objective fact that if you have received Christ, He is in your heart, whether you feel it or not. However, it's so often that we just are unaware of His presence in our lives. Like I said, that part of our life needs to be cultivated. Sometimes it requires concentration. For some, it's helpful to close their eyes and imagine themselves there with the Lord, with Jesus. For others, it's less distracting and keep their eyes open. But what the critical part, the, the important part, is just stopping the commotion in your lives long enough to be still before the Lord, to be quiet in your hearts with Him and listen to Him. Be aware of His presence. Speak words of gratitude to Him, words of praise, words of love. Respond to what He says in His Word. Talk it over personally with Him. But most of all, and most importantly, listen to Him. Listen to His love, His expressions of assurance and affirmation. Now, this is slightly different than what most of us would consider a prayer time. Often, a, a prayer time is when we go over a shopping list of things that we're concerned about, needs that we have, other people we want to pray for. We spend time uh, bringing our needs to God, praying for people that we love. And this is entirely appropriate. We are told to bring our needs, to express our needs. We are told to pray for one another. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it is right. But the important thing here is to spend time with Him. Is to, at times, put the list aside and to be aware of His presence. C.S. Lewis said, it is so much easier to pray than to go see Him. In fact, sometimes it is very difficult to spend time there. Sometimes it is frightening. We, uh, many of us ha have never stopped and looked at what's on the inside. We're afraid of what we might find there, what He might show us. We're afraid that He might be bothered with us, that He's holding things against us, that He's going to demand some horrible thing from us if we go and talk to Him there. But if you will have the courage and the faith to go there, what you will hear is Him say, You trusted me. You believed in me. You knew that I would accept you, and you came. And that's what matters. 
You will hear His words of affirmation, His words of assurance, His words of love. And if there is something that you need to deal with, He will graciously deal with it. He will bring it to your attention, bring you to, 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 to face it, and He will guide you out of it. That's worth one more comment here. Remember, He is the King. He deserves to be on the throne of your life. And so much of our struggle in life is because we don't want to relinquish control. We are afraid. We don't trust Him. What would really happen if I really let Jesus be King in my life? But people, that's what faith is all about. Faith is simply choosing on the basis of His character displayed on the cross, the love that He showed there, choosing to trust Him no matter what. He loved you personally enough to die for you. How could you think that He would direct you to do something that would destroy you? He is the Savior, not the destroyer. Again, He is the King. And we can go to Him and look into His eyes, see His love, and then come out from there in obedience. Now sometimes we are too afraid. We're so afraid we cannot see His eyes. Those times, what faith means is simply believing the facts. He is that good. He is smart enough. He is powerful enough that He deserves my obedience. He is my King and I will obey Him. Again, the Kingdom of God is where Jesus is. And Jesus is in our hearts. The Kingdom right now is inside. But don't let that confuse you into thinking that the kingdom is merely a psychological reality, a subjective thing that has no objective existence. No, that's not true. See, the kingdom of God is not just inside you. The fact is, there are millions of people who are subjects of the king. And he is inside every one of them. In fact, the kingdom of God today is the largest of all kingdoms. Remember the Pharisees wanted the kingdom to conquer Rome. Well, it did. Not through revolution and violence, but through love, self-sacrifice, as Jesus' subjects followed him even to their death. By about 325 A.D., Christianity had become the pervasive religion of Rome, became the official religion of Rome. It overwhelmed Rome, and then it began to continue to grow from there to fill the world. Today, officially, there are just over two billion Christians. Now, we know that an awful lot of those are, are formalistic Christians who have no personal relationship with Jesus, but there are hundreds of millions who do. This is the, 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 the vision in Daniel 2 that Daniel interprets for the king, where, where, the, where the, the king saw a, a stone cut without human hands. That stone was Jesus and the kingdom that he established. And in that vision, that stone began to grow and grow, and it toppled Rome, and it filled the whole earth. That's the kingdom today. 
But not only does the kingdom have objective existence in the church, the the body of believers that's all over the world, that's expanding at an incredible rate around the world, there will come a time when the kingdom of God is seen by all. A time when our Lord comes back. And that's what Jesus turns to his disciples and begins to explain to them. Verse 22. Then he said to his disciples, The time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. Men will tell you, There he is, or here he is. Do not go running after them. For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Jesus talks about one of the days of the Son of Man. That's a biblical allusion to what we call the second coming of Christ. The, the, the day of the Son of Man, when the Son of Man would come back, when Jesus would return. And what Jesus is, is, is telling is, there will come a point when you guys are longing for my return. You see, Jesus had just talked to the Pharisees, and these disciples had overheard Jesus describing the kingdom as an internal kingdom. I think he's concerned that they may... Suppose that that's all there is. And so he starts talking to them about when he's coming back to establish the kingdom on this earth. He starts talking about when he does return. But he says, but first, uh, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. There he's talking about his trial and his death. Uh, See, realize these disciples... This was all new to them. They didn't understand exactly what was going on. I think Jesus knew they didn't understand. But he wants to prepare them. So when it all happens, they'll go, Ah, that's what Jesus was talking about. But the bottom line is that he tells them, There will come a time when you desperately long for me to come back. See, the reality is that even though we have constant access to our king inside. What's happening on the outside can be pretty horrible. Life is hard. Life is painful. Especially in a world that is by its nature hostile to the kingdom. We will suffer. That suffering should, should drive us to long for our Lord to return, to set everything right. You see, the fact is that suffering does one of two things for us or to us. Uh, we all suffer. We, every one of us has pain and heartache in our lives. That is a given. But that pain, that suffering, uh, that loss, uh, that, that uh, disappointment and difficulty will either cause us to become angry with our King cause us to, 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 to distrust Him and pull away from our connection with Him, abandon our connection with heaven, lose the joy and peace and security that's only found in His presence, lose our faith. Or it will cause us to, to depend, rely more and more on that connection with Him, spend more and more of our time and focus with Him, receiving from Him His affirmation, His encouragement, His love, gaining from Him the, the strength we need for each day, and growing in our longing to see Him face to face when everything 
will be put right. The consummation of the kingdom when all death is gone and all pain is gone and he'll wipe every tear from our eyes. You see, we'll move in one of those two directions. And I have seen people in the midst of of horrible calamity, of loss of a loved one, of of disease, of of financial ruin, of, of all kinds of problems. I've seen people go one way or the other. Those are the only two ways for us to go. Jesus knows his disciples will move toward heaven, toward Jesus, toward longing for his return. So he tells them, When this happens, when they start longing for his return, don't be fooled by what's going on around you. Don't follow rumors. He says, when I come back, you'll know it. When lightning strikes near you, you know it. Remember one time I was sleeping, I was kind of half asleep in bed. I could hear... A thunderstorm in the distance, you know, kind of half conscious of the, of the thunder and the lightning. And each time the strike was getting a little closer and a little closer till all of a sudden the room flooded with this intense light and there was an explosion like you couldn't believe. I literally jumped onto the bed standing up screaming because I was sure we had been hit. I thought it was over. Uh, the next morning I found out it hit a telephone pole maybe about a mile away. But I was sure that night it hit us. You see, there was no way that I could have missed that lightning strike. And Jesus is saying, when he comes again, don't worry that you're going to miss it. There is no way that's going to happen. Any more than you could miss a lightning hitting ten feet from you. You don't miss it. Don't worry about it. You won't miss it. But then he says, on the other hand, Don't get lulled into thinking, since it hasn't happened yet, since everything's going on as normal, that it won't happen. Just like in the days of Noah, people were eating and drinking, getting on with their normal lives, getting married, having kids. The days of Lot, people were getting on with their lives, getting on with their business, until one day it all ended. A very specific time, on a very specific day, in a very specific year, the flood came. Or the fire from heaven came. He's saying in the same way, don't think that just because the Lord hasn't come yet, He's not coming. This is a once and forever event. Jesus said He was coming back. And He will. And then Jesus says, when it all actually happens, when it all actually comes down, don't be distracted by unimportant stuff. If you're up on top of your house, don't run down and get your junk. If you're out in the field, don't head back to your house. He says, remember Lot's wife. Now, what's he talking about? Well, this was a little confusing to me because I thought, man, this would all happen like this in a twinkling of an eye. When Paul talks about the Lord's coming in 1 Thessalonians, he says... For the Lord himself will come out of heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to greet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. 
You know, it sounds like it's going to happen pretty fast, but maybe there's a moment of time when the dead and rise are, uh, dead in Christ are rising, that some of us will turn around and run to try to pack a bag of our most precious stuff. I don't know. <laughs> but the bottom line, the, the, the real point here, the reason he says, remember Lot's wife. This is a warning not to get too attached to earthly things. You see, Lot's wife was being saved while Sodom was burning. But she turned back. She was so attached to, to maybe her material things, or, or maybe her, her, her social life, or maybe her prestige, her standing in the community, that she turned back and was lost. And Jesus says... Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. And then he says that two people can be right together in bed, at work. Two people who really know each other, who are very close. And one of them will be taken and the other will be left behind. See, I think the, the hidden message here is, is really all about who is king in your life. Are you running your life and are you running it after the things of this world? Are you so focused on, on acquiring a, a, a comfortable life here, avoiding hard relationships, avoiding hard decisions to do the right thing, so focused on getting nice things or building your business or building a name for yourselves that you've never come to Jesus as your King? doesn't matter that your wife has, or your husband has, or your mother, or father, or, or whoever. See, Lot's, Lot was saved. Lot's wife wasn't. I think it's fascinating the way it seems to all fall out. You know, we all here, most of us here, consider ourselves Christians. We claim Jesus as Lord. But what this passage seems to suggest is that when He comes again, some of us will run toward Him and some will run away toward the things that matter most to us in life. When Jesus comes, perhaps He won't have to separate us because we'll separate ourselves by our response. These are sobering things to think about. And the passage ends with the verse we started with. The disciples ask, where? And He replied, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. Again, it isn't something we need to worry about, you know, finding the right place. It will be obvious when the time comes. What we need to concern ourselves with now, here, is where our hearts are. Or more importantly, who is in our heart governing our lives. Again, where Jesus is, that's where the kingdom is. Right now... That's inside of us. Our connection with heaven is inside. But there's coming a time when our Lord will come again. And then the kingdom won't just be inside. It will be on the outside as well. You see, we can and we must live in that kingdom now. Spending time with our King. Knowing our King and living in anticipation of the eternal kingdom. Again, these are important things to think about. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do 
acknowledge, recognize that we enter your kingdom by your grace. You died on the cross so that we could come in. You died so that we could come before you, not be chased away, but experience your love. You died so that we could open the door of our hearts and invite you in and experience fellowship with you. Lord, we want to take advantage of that. We want to learn how to spend time in the kingdom, spend time in heaven, in the garden. Lord, as we do, and as you give us the resources for life, and as we see more and more clearly how this world is not our home, may our hearts grow in our longing for your return, for that day when we will see you face to face, and all tears will be wiped from our eyes. Lord, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.